0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? To him in the year of the primal... oh. Welcome,
0: my friends, to episode 170-something or other of Agitators Anonymous. I am Alan Averill, a singer in a heavy metal band, trying to make what little sense I can of the things I do not understand. You can use that for a lyric if you want. You can use it, gabba gabba Hey. Second verse, same as the first, or was it third verse, same as the first? I'm not sure. Um, However, anyway, Agitators Anonymous, I have a feeling that I've done this podcast before, and that is, with a big tour looming, um, starting this Thursday, I'm recording this on the Tuesday, two days away from starting, um, I think, realistically, one of the biggest tours was, We've done in about 10 years. I'm going to be talking about that. I'm going to be talking about the preparation for that, about the stupid, dumb, little, tiny things that you do, the little um, random things that you prepare to try and make life a little bit easier, the things you forget, um, and also the different mentality that goes into prepping for a tour where you are the support band and not the main band. So that's what episode... Look, I forget. Episode 170-something is going to be about. Um, To be clear, I'm going to try and keep up the podcast on the tour. Um, I'm not sure exactly how that's going to go. Um, There might be some episodes which don't have an intro because I won't have my garage band in front of me here at the desktop desktop to mix it. But I should be able to cope with that, right? Um, You should be able to cope without hearing Alistair Crowley at the top of the hour to let you know it's Agitators Anonymous. Although some people have mistakenly thought that it's actually Winston Churchill. But I could forgive that because they do sound pretty bloody similar. No, that's Alistair Crowley. I'm looking actually right now ahead of me. Um, Someone pressed all of his... Old, I suppose they're like um, wax tube recordings he made in the 20s or the 30s, which are incantations and magical um, poems and readings from the the Book of the Law and all that kind of thing. They were pressed onto vinyl um, very cheaply, very cheaply, a kind of clear vinyl thing, but it's a kind of cool thing to have. And that quote that you hear at the start is taken from that vinyl, and that's Alistair Crowley. Not Winston Churchill. We will fight them on the beaches. Um, I can do a pretty good um nineteen fifties Harry Enfield style uh, English accent, I suppose. Pathé News, Pathé News. Actually, I digress, as that is my want and that is my way. But most of the Pathé news reels um are online to view. Actually, some of them are pretty interesting. Pathé News, I suppose, was the um I suppose uh, in a sense it was the precursor, the visual precursor to the BBC World Service, or maybe we- actually when you think about it, the BBC World Service must have come before. I'm not too sure, but it's those old black and white footage of all sorts of things happening around the world. And, um, you know, this is the crashing of the Hindenburg, that kind of stuff. You know, I'm wasted. I'm wasted here talking to you into the void. I should be um, if it was the 1970s, I, c- I could be on a talent show doing all manner of silly voices anyway. Well, some would say that I do. Um, I just might have been paid more in 1975 than I am now. Anyway, so. Let's discuss Let's discuss prepping for a bigger tour. What goes into that? All the things that you might forget, all the things you might think were unusual and the different responses to them, the different whatever else anyway. So before we get there, the podcast is sponsored by Records.com, who are releasing the new Promodial album, How It Ends. It's coming out this Friday. There is a new video for the title track. We're going to be playing the title track along with the two other singles on the tour, um, which does mean we're in the awkward situation of The thursday gig the opening gig uh people won't have heard that title track yet but i think we're just gonna plow on through and just play the damn thing very cool video made by the guy who made victory has a thousand fathers killian uh, monson um who was in the credits i think if you're in a band out there and you need a very cool looking video for a very good price you should hit up killian or you can hit up me and i will i will put you in touch with him um so the album is coming out on Friday, the, the copies, the, I know that right now there are boxes and boxes and boxes of the album um, sitting in the first venue waiting for us to pick up. Um, so the physical product is out there, I don't have one in my hands. Um, and that never ceases to be a bit of a thrill, the, uh, the picking up the box. I'm not really that thrilled, I remember getting the CD of Imrama, the first promoted album. In '94, I think 90, could be no, it's actually '95. Somewhere on tour with Balsagoth. Oh, actually, not Balsagoth. Psy si, playing in the Bradford Rios, the old Bradford Rios. Um, that once upon a time, I suppose, would have been a quite vibrant venue, but by the end of its days, was um, really uh, just a kind of big, gloomy, cold, wet, and damp hall that just not enough people were going to anymore. If you went to the Rios, you probably have some. Um, Nice memories of it at some stage, but by the time we got there in 1995, um, it was sort of you know, on and I won't say it's last legs, but it was down to some the stumps, the the knee, the knee stumps, you know what I mean. And me and Kieron went in a taxi, I think, down to the post office. We got some notice, um, to say, I think we tried to deliver the CDs to the guys from Solstice, to Rich from Solstice at the time. Um, classic, classic band. If you've never listened to New Dark Age or um, Halcyon, Oof, do it, do it. Lamentations, awesome. Anyway, that's not really the point. The point is that I'm pretty sure Rich came down to the venue and went, um, we got this postal delivery notice failure. So we had to go down to the post office and me and Kieran went into the post office in Bradford and they, sure enough, had a few boxes of CDs I think had come up from Cacophonous. And that moment where we both got one box of 25 CDs and just opened them, we're like, wow, look at this, our first album, Imram," And it wasn't even out on vinyl yet. That took another um, however many years for it to be bootlegged by somebody or other. Um, they Shall Remain Nameless, but you can get the official one now. But there was a bootlegged one before, but that moment where you open the cd and you're like fucking hell we made a cd back when that was kind of a special thing um was a pretty big moment now i know that there are boxes and boxes of the new album um sitting probably in places around the world different record stores different things the ones that are left more power to them and also if they are left and you have one in your area God damn it go to it um because it's important that they still exist anyway and so um, what am I talking about oh yeah I'm supposed to say that the show is sponsored by Metal Blade Records you're here for the rambling you're here for the rambling and um, if you saw the state of my room here which is full of um, all the things that I should be bringing on tour and then no doubt there's things everywhere that I'm forgetting you could forgive this podcast for being a reflection of the state of my grey matter, the state of my brain, which is a little bit scattered at the moment. But yes, Metal Blade Records. Go to IndieMerch.com slash Metal Records and you can use the promo code AA2023. And you'll get 10% off your order. And that order should and could be the new primordial album, How It Ends, which is coming out on Friday, my friends. Well, indeed. So the, where does that leave us? Let me look at my... Um, rather minimal notes with my handwriting scribbling like a spider. So it's been quite a long time since um, actually we've discussed I've discussed with Paradise Lost the idea of touring together several years ago already and um, our you know calendars just never aligned. Now for bigger bands who are uh, able to make a living from playing music? They often, of course, there is a saturation point. Maybe that's the wrong phrase, but there is a point in a tour where it's kind of like the residual effect of the days means that you earn more money. It comes after about two weeks when things really begin to pay for themselves. The merch debt is cleared after however long. Um, the hiring of the van, all the costs begin to go down. Just like when if you, just like every other um, industry, if you print fifty shirts. And then you print 100 shirts, the printing uh, T-shirts, the printing of the 100 shirts per shirt is going to be cheaper because you're printing more of them. And I suppose it's the same way with touring. The more days you do in a tour, the more residual effect of the income that you have. But of course, for bands who make a living, um, time and responsibility and all that kind of thing are a little bit different. So Primordial, who who aren't a professional band for primordial who, um, of course, have to work at other things and and you only get X amount of holidays per year, your touring is kind of limited to 14 to 18 days at the most um, at a time. But, of course, that's the moment where, as we discovered on the last tour at Swell of the Sun, um, that's the moment where if you had another week, you would almost double your money, so to speak. So, very often for the middling bands and the kind of opening sort of middle bands, lining up your calendar... Um, with a bigger band is very difficult. We had this problem with Amon Amarth many times, um, which may surprise some people, but I'm quite a big fan of the first few Amon Amarth. Um I ain't no Amon Amarth hater. I think it's a tiresome trope of any musical scene or any heavy metal scene that once a band gets too big, you go, eh, meh, without really listening to what they're doing. And Amon Amarth have been sticking to their guns for 30 years. Um, and very lovely people as well. So very often they've asked us on tour in the past and I've looked at the schedule and it's been like 36 days and I've just said, look, the, the, being able to get 36 days off work well, is very difficult. Now, it might be easier in, you know, in Scandinavia or Nordic country, but in a country like Ireland where, you know, the middle management above you're like, well, I, you're not going on holidays if I'm not getting any. Yeah, I'm being flippant, but you know what I mean. Um, is rather difficult. And so we just had to keep turning down tour after tour. This actually is what happened in the USA. Because, of course, if you're paying to get a work visa in the States, you want to play as many days as possible. So after our initial tours in the USA with um, the heathen or pagan crusade or whatever the fuck it was called, and then we did the other one, While Heaven Wept, but especially the heathen crusade, pagan, whatever it was called, pagan fest, was it? Ah, you tell me in the comments. Um, We got so many offers of tours after that, about half a dozen and then every tour promoter realized like all oh, right okay you guys aren't in a position to take a week or month off um work um, as long as as well as doing your european dates to be able to come to the usa and so the old offers fell away but we got like about half a dozen offers within that first 12 to 18 months after playing that tour with corpi um, in the states and it's just not possible when you're also juggling all the other responsibilities of life which include working at mundane jobs if only it was 1975 you say and we could all um actually speaking to the 1970s if some of you go on youtube you can find amazing documentaries um on utv which is ulster television um of bands from the 1970s who never made it from the north of england there's all these documentaries i can't think of any of the names of them offhand but i've been watching a whole bunch of them and they're all like, we play three shows a night. I get £14.10 from first show. We drive to Doncaster. We play another 50 minutes, uh, maybe stick in one of our own songs. And then we get back in Van and then we drive to Hull. And then we round off the night at that and I get a bag of chips for 32p and I'm home. And if I play this, do this every night of the week, maybe, I have a grand total of £102 for me, my weekly wage. And there are all these bands playing in in whatever city you're from. Back in the 1970s, if you're from Ireland, right, if you're from Dublin, you've got Dunleary, you've got Bray, you've got Salt Hill, you've got Monkstown, you've got all these Kalini. I'm, I'm thinking of uh, posh uh, towns on the south side. But back in the day, if you were probably like a working blues band in 1973, you'd play each one of them every weekend. Like you could play all of Dublin instead of just playing a show in Dublin. And there are all these amazing documentaries of these bands who never made it. Um, who kind of like are trying to adopt a little bit of glam, a little bit of David Bowie, but nothing too much to upset um, the uh, lads sinking pints in the Worker Men's Club. I think if you went in with eyeliner on in 1975 to a Worker Club in Doncaster, you wouldn't be lasting long, holding on to your teeth. Um, that's the impression I got. What the hell am I talking about? What I'm trying to talk about, roundabout, is preparing for... Um, a bigger tour. It requires a whole different rethink. Like, Primordial hasn't supported a band um, in about, you know, a bigger band in about 10 years. Of course you support bands at festivals and all that kind of thing. And you have to tailor your set. But the last few tours we've done have been headline tours where um, you can kind of take liberties with the time you're last on. Um, A lot of the pressure is on you um, as the last band. People are there to see specifically really you um, and you you know you try and they, they they will come also to see the support bands and that kind of thing but you're said it's going to be 1 hour 30 1 hour 45 sometimes even 2 hours at the weekend but now um we're looking at the, the running order now, and it's like 50 minutes. And that's I've got to be a very tight 50 minutes. You can't fuck around. You can't make it 53. You can't make it 54. You've got to pick your songs um, very specifically to fit that 50 minutes. And for a band who have six, seven, eight, nine minute long songs, that's quite difficult for Primordial. Also, you're thinking to yourself, OK, Paradise Lost, Paradise Lost. We stick to our guns and just do whatever we do, which, of course, is the general perception. but. In the back of our brains is like, Well, you know, to Hell of the Hangman is a bit of a dance floor mover. It's a bit of a it's a bit gothy. It's got a bit of a touch of the Nephilim. It's got a bit touch of, um, you know, a bit of Bauhaus and it, bit of post wave. Even though actually it's modelled a little bit on Hawkwind, that driving bass line. But Hawkwind was such a big influence, I think, on those early '80s post wave bands, you know, such as Joy Division. And that's what it's distilled down through with the shuffle beat, the you know, and the sixteenth beat, which you hear in "Run to the Hills" and stuff. So half my, you know, in the back of your mind is like, oh, maybe we should play that song. Instead of a sprawling eight, nine, ten minute long song. Generally with Primordial, we sort of discuss the um, the stage, you know, the, the running order or the, what am I talking about? We discuss the song order beforehand, but it's still open to change. It's quite possible that on this tour we'll play a different song, a um, you know, a different one or two songs every night. And we might go, you know what, I feel a little bit lame in the wolf tonight or lane with the wolf tonight. Let's play that. And everybody goes, yeah, why not? Or you play No Grave Is Deep Enough or you play whatever else. So it's we are still a bit loose with it. And that's because we haven't supported so many bands for years. But you've got to be tight with this. You've got to know that if your set starts at, let's say, 8.45 or 9.45 p.m., your intro has to start at 8.42 or 9.42 p.m. Um, exactly and if it's three minutes long you need to be hitting that first note exactly then and you can't be running over especially during the, mid, during the midweek because this is a terrible thing I don't know if it's happening in your city but we have the terrible um, and I think actually um, well I can't say any polite words about it at all I think it's fucking disgusting but every venue in Dublin now wants to double book they want the rock or the metal or whatever it is the punk or the indie get on and fuck off by 10pm because they want people in to go to the normal nightclub listening to normal pop music. You're not allowed to linger around. You're not allowed to hang out. So sometimes you get to a venue and there's plenty of them in Europe who are doing the exact same thing. They want double bookings, double their money. Um, it's just greed. And so therefore, all of the actual um, bands, the musicians, the um Let's call it the culture and the music that needs fostering in an age when people are just moving more and more towards whatever bullshit pop music is popular. Um, you know, of course, the, the e- e- economic considerations um, always win out over these things over the moral argument. But very often you look at it and you go, oh, fuck, we're on at 750 tonight um, because the whole thing has to end at a quarter past 10.00. Because everyone has to be out. And they also want you out of the backstage. They want you out of everything. Very often to clear off, out a whole band and all your gear and all your guitars for a DJ with a laptop who wants to come in um, and sit in the room and drink Prosecco. And this has happened more times than I choose to um, mention or can mention. So maybe the future is um, Promodio Karaoke with just me, um, my few bottles of Prosecco, my laptop and I can do like, I don't know if any of you um, know, oh, wait a I minute, mean, what am I doing? Sometimes, sometimes I catch myself and I'm like, this is a conversation in the pub, but it's not. Ian Brown from the Stone Roses. Now whether you, whether you like the Stone Roses or not, I don't know. But after the pandemic, he's taken to basically just doing karaoke on his own with a few lights. Ian Brown, he's, he doesn't have Manny, the bass player or whoever all the other people are from the Stone Roses or the Ian Brown solo band. He's just doing karaoke and it's part of me thinking like, Fucking hell, man. Like, really? I mean, that, you know, Stone Rose's album is like iconic, whatever the one it is. I can't remember what it's called. It's not my thing. It's got Waterfall or whatever it is on it. But um, it was a huge record for many of my friends um who grew up listening to indie music in 1990. um, And the fact that he's just like now decided, fuck it, I'm just doing karaoke. I mean, can you imagine that I would just show up to a venue and go, well, look, it's just me. I'm going to sing Empire Falls. On my own with a couple of lights, and we get rid of everybody. Actually, the more that I say it, the more appealing it becomes. Anyway, so you have to have a different approach to when you're supporting a bigger band. What you want to do is you want to you want to challenge them. That's the '70s thing that you always hear about. You know, Rush challenged Kiss and Thin Lizzy, supporting Queen, and you know these these iconic kind of mini wars. I mean, I always think like I want. I want every other band to step up to the plate as much as we are able to. And if they kick our ass, they kick our ass. I remember at Kil Kim Zai Boo, playing after Destroyer Six Six Six, and they just raised the roof off the place. Um, and I thought, all right, oof. And that night, I think they got the best of us. Oh, another night, maybe we'd have got the best of them, or we would have got the best of the band after us, but we happened to be last. And so you have to try and step up the plate and go. All right, all right, whoever this uh, you know the, the last band is, show us,
1: give us. Upgrade for free shipping and three hundred and sixty-five day returns on your next order. That's quince.com upgrade. Hey it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If only in theaters, May seventeenth. Do you want to tell people the big news?
0: And so sometimes for a bunch of Irishmen who are a bit disorganised, that can be quite difficult to exactly prep your show so you've got everything worked out. But that's what you have to do. Um, And there's a difference in approach because you also want to, you don't want to disappoint your own fans who are there to see you, who maybe don't like the headliner, um, but are sweetened by the deal of the two support bands. And they go, okay, for four good bands, um, this is worth the money. But I'm really here to see one, two, three or four band. You, you've you got fans to win over and that's something different. So that's the time where sometimes you might think, um, you know, you've got to be a bit tighter in your approach. You can't ramble between the songs. You've got to think a bit more about the set list. You've got to kind of think to yourself, you know, not second guess yourself. I mean, every song is your own. So for, as far as I'm concerned, i playing to the hell of the hangman because it might fit in with the kind of tone of the evening is not a compromise because it's, it's my fucking song, like, or it's our song. We wrote it, we, we love that song. So it's not a compromise, but it's a toe tapper. It's a toe tapper, as they say it. And so maybe you go, you know what, let's stick that in rather than I'm um, an older song, rather than something that's a bit slower, more obscure. Um, and then try and put another obscure song after it. So you've got a whole different set of criteria to consider when you're the um you know the the second band or I suppose the third band of four and also that your set is going to be 50 minutes long you don't have time to warm up into your set and then kind of hit your peak after 10 15 minutes and hold it there um you don't have time to make a longer impression you don't have time for an encore and you also have more time after the show to kind of unwind because very often these days you finish um and everyone's gone by the time you're finished any friends you had there um any chance of managing to get out of the environment of the bus, the backstage, um, and go even to a local place to get something to eat or a bar or something for one drink or two um, is gone because you're last. And by the time you get out, this is quite different. So you end up with more time afterwards to hang around, to maybe mill about at the merch stand, help try and sell some stuff, um, have have chats with people. Um, and for different musicians, this can be a blessing and a curse. It can give you, if you have... Um, your eye on whatever bottle of booze that might be, it can give you more space and time to get stuck into that. Um, So it can actually be um, much more relaxing and calming on the one hand, but it can also um, speak to the little devil that's sitting on your shoulder going, hey, it's only 10 p.m. She might as well cut loose for now a few hours. Whereas if you're last, sometimes by the time you've carried your bag onto the bus, it's 1 a.m. and it's time like to um, you know get your middle-aged head down and get your beauty sleep um, but you are out there trying to win newer fans and that's what the label are hoping for they're hoping that people who maybe um, have heard the name from Mordial, but who are part of last fans um, are going to go oh okay I've been hearing about them but now this is what they look like this is what they are um, yes or no I make the choice to maybe they're standing there on their phone they're going alright Spotify I'll follow you Um and go and listen to the album tomorrow. That's theoretically what should happen. Sometimes, and this has always been true, that you support a big, big band. And that's not something Promodial has ever done. But um, say, you know, like you take, um, I remember when Soundgarden reformed, Graveyard from Sweden supported them. Um, Just as an example, big, big, big bands who have a very particular middle-aged following, who look, they just want to fucking hear um, that old album. I watched so many bands over the years support Wasps and Buy On band who just disappeared without trace after it because old Wasp fans they want to hear what they want to hear they don't care about the opening band the same can be said sometimes for Iron Maiden for Judas Priest um, for big bands you get somebody who buys on everybody goes "Meh." come on come on it made a difference when people were younger if your crowd is young back in the 80s um, when Metallica supported Ozzy or whatever you could win over the crowd because the crowd was younger and excited and um you know, had less going on in their um, life that they would be able to place music and the discovery of a new band in such a paramount and um, position in their life. Whereas now, very often I think um, you've got an old band comes out to tour and they go, okay, I mean, look, take a band like Sonic Youth. Sonic Youth come and play or um, some kind of band like that and do... The audience who are gonna be like fifty, late forties, early fifties, do they want to listen to a brand new band who maybe are inspired by Sonic Youth? Probably not. Do you do twenty-five thousand Iron Maiden fans? Are they gonna get into Enforcer if Enforcer was given the opportunity to support them? Which, um, let's be clear, Iron Maiden have never really brought out um uh, traditional heavy metal bands, have they? I've seen Iron Maiden so many times when they've either brought out their kids playing in awful bands. Or dog shit bands like Funeral for a Friend, for example, or um, just bands that don't make any sense. Is that a calculated thing to not bring out an old fashioned band? I mean, for sure, Judas Priest brought out Iron Maiden in 1980. Um, You would have thought Iron Maiden couldn't have done the same thing. But you see the same thing. Slayer didn't bring out Sepultura um, in the early 90s. So it kind of goes around like that. What am I trying to say? I think that the vintage of Primordial fans are probably the same age as Partis Lost fans. Although I think some Partis Lost fans who were big into the um, One Second, Sage's Words era of Partis Lost um, would probably be a bit nonplussed with Primordial. But you never know. So you're you're going out there with a kind of a mission statement, which is, we're here to win some people over, which is very different from when you're in your headlining slot, which is like, okay, we're here to play to the committed. We're going to preach. We're preaching to the converted. You know, um, it's a kind of different thing. And so you have to be in a slightly different mindset. You've got to be on top of your game, I think, even more, because um, there's, um, there's going to be hundreds and hundreds of people there, in theory, um, we hope so, that are waiting around going, who the fuck is this band? Who the fuck is this cunt with all his stuff on and is this, that and the other? And you guarantee there are going to be people who are just going to see me as soon as I walk out and go, nope, nope, and just walk out to the bar because I presume it's going to sound like Marduk or or Primordial or Immortal or something like this. Um, Well, that's the way it goes. I remember playing at Bang Your Head Open Air and talking to some guy at the bar after we are set and he goes, oh this fucking band with the corpse paint guy and the blah 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 as soon as they came out I just walked off he didn't realise it was me he was talking to and I said do you like Merciful Fate he said yeah of course I like Merciful Fate and I said "Yeah, well you're a fucking idiot then aren't you anyway so that's what you kind of thats a, you have to have a different kind of mindset so before every tour there's all these kind of things that I try and gather together um, so many dumb kind of things that you do about spare you're going to end up throwing away so many clothes. So you buy like cheap cheap socks and cheap this and the other. You try and get sleeping pills. Sleeping in a bus can sometimes be difficult. Try and get something to help you sleep was always my thing in the past. I couldn't handle not sleeping and being tired and having to sing. Now, my sleeping patterns as I got older have changed a bit and I'm not um, in this natural sleeping position of going to bed between 4 and 7 a.m., um, which isn't conducive to a good night's sleep but you pack packing things like you're going to go all right here's my book I'm going to read and which you usually never manage to get around to but here's my shorts here's my runners I'm going to go running I'm going to find a gym which does happen sometimes every two or three or four days I manage to do that our drummer Simon he goes out every day um, so you do try and um sort of bring things that that make the process easier I would advise and bringing your own, um, your own pillowcases, your own—not um, necessarily your own bedding, but certainly your own undersheet or whatever. I've been on tours where it's like as if somebody just—you just stepped into someone's grave. Where a tour bus has literally just arrived to pick you up that had another band in it who just got out in the air in another airport an hour away, and you lie down in the bed and you're like, "Ugh, the pillow is fucking warm." Ugh. and you go god almighty um, am I just stepped in someone's grave um, and then you don't want to look down the sides of those beds and this and the other so my advice would be and what I always do is to pack my own pillow my own under clothes you know under sheet or whatever that kind of thing um, that's very important now we're really getting down into the mundanities the really boring the really boring stuff and um, for those of you who are like, "How do I get my crack pipe through the airport?" I'm sorry to disappoint you. I'm talking about um, bedclothes. There's always a tactic to picking the best bunk as well. If you are a light sleeper, never ever sleep beside somebody who snores. Um, check when you get on a tour bus. You got to check. Some of them have a the sleeping on the same layer, the same level as the front and the back lounge, which is where people end up drinking, playing music, or whatever they're doing. And um, and so you go. Don't want to sleep near to that you've got to think to yourself is this bunk near where a draft is going to come up as in if, if people keep leaving the back door open am i going to get a cold blast of air i've gotten colds like that um am i going to be on the third sometimes the bunks are in two sometimes they're in threes and so the third one at the top the ceiling is very low and it can get quite claustrophobic the one at the bottom can sometimes seem like a tomb and um, personally i go for the ones on the bottom um, it doesn't bother me that it's kind of claustrophobic and feels like a tomb but then when you're on the ones on the ground you're privy to all the smells of people's shoes all their socks all the things they throw in the middle of the um, kind of laneway between all the beds it sounds pretty gross pretty disgusting well you're talking about in general um, 10, 15, 20 sweaty men and sometimes sweaty women to be fair um, who are all in their bunks all facing each other and um, and if you're in the back lounge, back, back bedroom bit, and somebody goes, oh, well, that's about, that's for the headlining band, you go, okay. And then you realize that there's a door. So that means it gets no air. All this kind of stuff. There's all these things. And so what I try and do is be, you know, a bit sneaky. You get to the bus first. And while everybody else is busy shaking hands and blah, 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 talking, you go and scope out all the beds. and It's going to take you 10, 15 minutes to process in your brain. Right, which one? And then you put your bag on the bed and then that's main, mainly means that's claimed now for me. Um, so there's a very great skill to pick in the right bunk because it could make your tour um, a fucking mini, a little baby nightmare or go um, much more smoother. But if you are above or below somebody who snores, um, oof, snores or farts, you're in for um, a rough ride. Um, I mean, look, it's it's not a rough ride compared to, you know, being um, being on the shore of a beach with a ten foot tsunami wave heading your way. I'm um, not that kind of nightmare, but it you know it has reaper um, repercussions. That's for sure. So um, that's kind of it. And then you do your you prep your own little things. Personally, uh, I I don't like going on the red eye flights to start a tour. I don't go at four or five in the morning. I would rather go the evening before even if I pay for a hotel myself, to get a good night's sleep to start, um, you know, after a decent night's sleep in an airport hotel. I, I can't stand the red eyes where you've had one or two or three hours sleep. And then, of course, you have to sing a couple hours later and your whole thing is just, um, you're just tired and you're constantly chasing sleep. And then you chase, you're chasing your tail that first weekend. And sometimes you just don't catch up and sleep. And that's how you get sick. So I tend to go, I try and go the day before, also, you know, when you're the support band, um, you don't really have to worry about things like ticket sales, and um, there's less logistics. I mean, the last tour that we did with Swallow the Sun, um, as the headliner, um, you know, the the bus companies uh, several week, you know, a week or two before go well, petrol costs this much more now, so the costs of our 350 euro a day, just arbitrary raise of costs, um, one week before, and there's nothing you can do because they know you have to tour, um. They know you're not going to cancel the tour over it, so they just raise the prices. But when you're not in the position of it all resting on your shoulders, it's a kind of whole different atmosphere whereby you don't have to worry about all of the same kind of things. Now, of course, for a band like um, P.L., they're probably insulated from some of those worries by management. But for a band like Primordial, who we're talking about 250 to 500 people a night, um, where you're just on the line between being able to pay for anything or some nights being on a, you know, on a kind of a loss or, you know, you need really that three 400 people. But if the bus company goes, well, it's going to cost this much more and everything else costs this much more, um, your overheads come down. And sometimes you come out at the end of a, a two-week tour and you go, fuck, I, uh, I made less than, um, you know, you made less than you did five years previously or you made less than crew or you made less than all sorts of things. So there's lots of things to consider. But when you're in the, when you're the band before the main band, you have less of those, I feel like you have less of those pressures and those financial pressures. There's nobody coming up to me or I'm not standing outside the venue in Toulouse or Nantes or wherever going, how many people are, how many tickets are sold? 212. Oh, fuck, that's not enough. I'm going back down. How many people we end up, you know, 282. Not bad, 282 many bands would be super happy with 282 but it just comes off the top of my head and from my brain box but you're thinking 282 oh i don't know and then you've got to compare it to the previous tour and blah, blah blah and you know that festivals are going to be looking at well what was your how many did you pull on your last tour yeah well that doesn't mean that you can get more uh, for your festival fees next time even though inflation every day all your costs are going up they go well you only pulled you know, X amount of people last time, if you see charitable growth, you can go, well, we need more money. But that's kind of not how it works. Even though you go, well, the flights have gone up and the this have gone up and the that has gone up. These Many of these coefficients are less relevant when you're just in the middle of a tour. You're just in the middle. And so that's a very different mindset to be in when you're starting, when you're playing. You feel less pressure financially. I have to admit that I like the pressure um, of playing last uh, for, of a long show that has ups and downs and different dynamics I like I don't like playing a short show I want to play an hour and a half two hours I don't want to get up and be gone and be you know um, be like oh geez that was great because it was shorter that's that's not the way I think about things I think I enjoy I enjoy playing two and a half I, play, I've, I mean we've played over three hours in some places I enjoy that I know that seems like a test of patience. And I think to myself, would I stand and watch a band for two hours? I get it. It can be difficult. But at the same time, the, um, the costs that are involved in getting the band to like Moscow or Santiago or wherever else and, you know, in a more obscure city, you might never, ever come back. And what you want to just step on the stage and step off after 60 minutes or 65 minutes. Not for me. I want to give people something uh, proper to remember and also give them value for money, especially as the costs of everything to even get there have gone up and up and up and up. Um, so that's kind of how I view it. What are my other secrets a very good set of earplugs for sleeping I think is essential I think also knowing when not to be around is very um, very good thing on tour because um, you can get this cabin fever and you can if you're around people um, like all of the time you can begin to get a bit touchy a bit cranky a bit angry finding like a local coffee shop or a bar where you can just sit on your own and read your book this is paradise on tour this is like the thing the, the, the thing that you search for. During an afternoon, just that two hours where you can disappear. And that's a very good, important thing. It's also important in the studio. It's important in everything, I think, within a band where you're, you t- spend intensive amounts of time together is knowing when to just disappear, to get out of everybody's hair. You know, especially when you're as disagreeable as me. Anyway, my friends, Agitated Anonymous episode something or other is a kind of a stopgap ramble across the preparations for touring. I'm, I'm looking around here. There's backdrops everywhere. There's stage clothes everywhere. There is microphones. All these things need to be packed up. Stage clothes, which this, which that, which cool underground shirt am I going to bring with me to show off to everybody that, oh, I've been into sarcophago since 1987. Which sarcophago shirt do you bring? Which sarcophago shirt do you bring? That is the dilemma, my friends. Agitated Anonymous, I'm Al Navoril. I will see you all on tour if you're coming. Um... And we shall talk soon.